Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. Chris Long is making headlines. He is donating all 16 of his game checks this season to help low-income children learn. That's right. He's playing for free. Hey, how are you? Chris, nice to meet you. If I took an action really quietly, it wouldn't go any further. Once the, the act was done, it was done. I just was like, I gotta put this stuff out and get the fans involved and get other influencers involved. So we're gonna give you $30,000 towards Pledge 10 for Chris Long comes from NFL royalty. At least some people would say that. When you're the son of a Hall of Famer, you've got big shoes to fill, and I'm sure he's heard this all his life. But in that type of situation, there are two outcomes. You can either never come out of your father's shadow, or in Chris's case, you can just build your own legacy. Chris's accomplishments on the field are impressive, to say the least. Two consecutive Super Bowl championships and enough awards to fill any athlete's trophy room. However, it is off the field where I am most impressed by Chris. Chris donated his entire 2017 salary to various charities. And through his foundation, funds, initiatives in clean water, military appreciation, and youth education. He is one of the first white athletes in the NFL to stand in solidarity with Black players using their platforms for social justice. During a time when players experienced a lot of pushback on the issue, Chris stood shoulder to shoulder with his teammates. Chris Long is a man of conviction and of character, and I can't wait for you to meet him on this edition of The Brown Print. So Chris Long, uh, by way of background, is a friend of mine. I met him when I first started working at ESPN uh, and he was playing, I believe at the time for the St. Louis Rams. And I always thought, uh, what a cool down to earth guy in general, just good spirit, easy, goes out of his way to be kind to everybody. But then I really got to know him and none of that was true. Kind of an asshole. So kind of an asshole guys kind of an in a asshole. good way in a good way <laughs> like that way in a, good way. In a great way mm-hmm. um but i but i will say this this podcast is um about people who've been able to succeed in spite of and someone might see your story and think well he's privileged he comes from nfl royalty mm-hmm. he's this he's that what there's this is not a hard hard sell but you work hard for everything and i think that's what i admire the most about you you never take an easy route. So therefore, with that being said, welcome to the Brown Print and talk to me um, about growing up in a household where I I would assume you knew you were going to play football, but maybe you didn't. Yeah, I don't. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. You know, one of, of these course. days, I'll, hey, listen, I'll climb the elevator and I can get on the, sh- the big show with Jamel. And, and you, you want to you, if you want to be in the bubble of trouble, you can come on, join us. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, we stay in trouble. I know you guys do. Hey, listen, like the other night when we were on Twitch, you were like, uh, I had agreed to come on this thing. And me and Hawk and you were talking about your great show with Jamel. And I was like, yeah, Hawk, I'm going to be on the show next week. You're like, no, you're not going to be on the show next week. You're coming to my podcast. You put me right in my place. Um, Hey, but if this goes well. um, So, yeah, you can dream. I think you can dream. I think um, I think oftentimes with football, we assume that like everybody that plays football wants to live, you know, 
eat, sleep, breathe football. And that's never been true about me. Like that doesn't mean I never work my ass off at it. I try to outwork everybody, but I think I got a healthy sense of, you know, that there's a, a bigger world than just football from my pops and from my family. Um, and that allowed me as a kid to dream about doing other stuff. And, you know, naturally when you're six foot four and you're 260 pounds in high school, you eventually probably go that route. But up until probably my senior year, I didn't know that I wanted to play. Uh, my junior year, I committed to Virginia, but like I, I wasn't that into going and playing the NFL. Sophomore year of college, I wasn't sure I wanted to play in the NFL. I thought maybe I would turn it down if I got the opportunity because it, it just, it, I'd seen what it did to my dad. He played 13 years in the league and he played 13 years in a time when they weren't making a lot of money. They were killing themselves. I mean, we're all killing ourselves playing this game, but um, you know, 13 years in the old NFL is like 20 now. And my dad played in the physical front. Um, and I saw the surgeries, 10, 11, 12 surgeries. I saw the way he was predisposed with his job when he got home. And he'll tell you, he's like, you know, he wishes he had more time with just me while he was playing. So the, to me, the NFL was not an attractive prospect for me, um, especially because my dad's a Hall of Famer. So it's not like if I go play in the NFL, automatically I'm going to feel like my life is a success. And the funniest story about when I was a kid was I didn't go out for football until I was 12 years old. And my parents, I can remember, I wanted to go out and play peewee football or whatever. Um, and they didn't want to let me play because my dad, knowing how rough the sport is and that sort of thing. And my mom said, wait, they were in, they were, you know, after the kids go to bed in the bedroom, having, having the, you know, the power talk about what's going on in my life. And they said, he's too, he's too much of a wimp. Like, honestly, if we let him go play, he'll just get his nose bloody and come home and never want to play again. So we should probably let him go play. Cause if we deny it, that's all he'll want to do. Well, it turned out I went and played and I wasn't very good at it, but I liked it and just kept rolling with it. And how'd you get good at it? Reps, reps. I was never, even in the pros, I was never, I've never been a natural at almost anything um, other than just being charming, you know, and just delivering a good podcast. If you, I'm a if great you guest do on. say so yourself, <laughs> but I'm not, let me got, jot that down. <laughs> Only been charming. Got it. <laughs> Carrie, I, 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 I suck at most things I do. So, um, and I don't pick them up very easily. So you know, like for me, high school was a grind. I was on like JV my ninth grade year, you know, talk to a yep. bunch of other NFL players yep. that were playing JV yep. their ninth grade year. I mean, I was a late bloomer and I just worked and my dad kind of instilled in me that value as his firstborn, um, that it was just about pounding the pavement. And so, uh, I can remember he, you know, and I was a wimp at, to, till I was 13 or 14 years old. And he, he kind of, he hooked me up with this coach named Ben D'Alessandro and, the sole purpose of this coach that played basketball at Providence was one of these college basketball psychotic, you know, run gassers till you puke guys was just to kind of break me. And I worked with him and worked with him and we just go and run until I broke down. And from that point on, I really just got into the grind of it. And I've always loved the grind. If I miss anything about the NFL, it's honestly, it's the grind of it. So, um, yeah, that's the only way I knew how to do things. And it just, it just came together for me slowly. I think that uh, you obviously have been asked this question a bunch. So I'll make it a, a two-part question. When your father is who your father is, yeah. do people treat you a certain way for better or for worse? Definitely. Did you have coaches? 
yeah, yeah. okay for better or for worse yeah but both i mean you know you're gonna get I've always had certain, and you use the word privilege, it's definitely a, it's a truism if your dad played in the NFL because I'm very privileged to have a, a dad who had the experience and I'm also privileged to have his contacts. So like, if I need advice on something, I got people I can call, right? Um, I have a strong foundation that way. But the negative of it is obviously gonna be, no matter what you do, people are always gonna want you to do more. And I think, you know, that's part of, you know, pressure for me getting picked in the first round and top five or whatever and uh, playing the NFL and a lot of the moments that I got to experience, I was very lucky. That wasn't really, I mean, I've been dealing with pressure since I was 14, you know, showing up to a game and people chanting my dad's name or, you know, getting into college and getting a scholarship and people saying that you just got that scholarship because your dad, I was an army all American, you know, like, um, same thing. You get, you start to play in college. People say that's because your dad, you get drafted because your dad, you, you break the bank, you know, have a, a career year, your contract year, break the bank. It's because of your dad, you know, it's, there's always going to be that. So you always have to do, and it gave me kind of a little coat of armor where I was always callous in a good way. You know, I just, mm -hmm. and also I never got fat. Like I never got you know, I never, I never felt like, I never felt like I had done anything. Like even when I got drafted, I was like, I was more realistic. than I think most kids that come up and put the cap on the thought of me getting drafted was like, fuck another challenge, you know, more pressure. And I'm going to go meet, you know, the expectation, but I don't look at this as an accomplishment. And I think that's why, honestly, I never enjoyed my career. Like some people might have enjoyed their career because for me, I was always, you know, there, there's nothing, I, I can come back to my hometown, that's where I live, and people pat you on the back and shake your hands and, and, and. Do you get free Caribbean food? I do from, well, actually I pay, Pearl Island, shout out to Pearl Island but, Catering. Okay, I know about <laughs> Pearl Island Catering, shout out, we've been chatting her out, or is it a she? It's a dude, it's, it's two dudes here in hey, Charlottesville, hey, I, eat, I eat Pearl Island every uh, week that I'm on with Carrie on uh, Twitch, but I think the bottom line is like, I can come back and I could feel pretty good about myself, but yeah, I never take that luxury because like my dad. But I think you do it to the 10th power. You know what I'm saying? When you say you're callous about yourself, I think you go out of your way to be self-deprecating and, 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 and charming. It's true. But I also, I also wonder, do you ever sit back and think, no, like, I'm the shit. I've I've earned it outside of my pop's name. Well, I respect I've done it on my yeah, own. I, I, I do. I do feel that way, but I'm never going to like, Cause nobody, you know, just people don't under, you're not going to be able to sell the pressure of having a dad who played in the league to people who just okay. don't get it. Like, listen, the trade off right. is I came from somewhere where I had a, you know, a privileged back background. I had some resources, but you know, I had to earn everything I got. And honestly, I think the, I'm pretty sure the pressure would have broke a lot of my peers because they never had to deal with that, you know? So, yes. and, and, you know, people are always like, Hey, genetics, this, that, and the third. Well, where are all the other Hall of Famers kids? That play yeah, I'm, yeah. I you, mean, you know, you, so, so, yes. my, so I've always had a very realistic idea of myself, and that's allowed me to stay humble, but also to not take shit from people because I know who I am. I know, I know what I've done to get here. And if, and if other people didn't respect that, it never bothered me along the way, you know, it just and they never will. You can't convince them. Well, you never will. I don't, yeah. life's too short to convince people of, <laughs> And also like, it's over. I'm not a, I'm not a football <laughs> player anymore. So like, it, it doesn't even matter. You know what I mean? Like life is so short and um, your career is even shorter. I look back on my Act. career. I'm super proud of everything about it. And so 
Um, and I'm also proud about the fact that, you know, the thing you're alluding to, which is the, overcoming the pressure of having somebody that everybody, well, no matter what you do, your pops did it too. You know. Oh my God! Every, we're we're at work, and they're like, "Oh, look, look, look! It's your dad." You're like, "Yeah, I, okay." You know, every I mean, you probably well, get it more often than not. It's you the know, haircut. And I, it's the haircut. Is it? Yeah, it's the haircut. When you yeah, guys point him out, I'm like, "Dad, can we can we shave the, the military <laughs> cut at some point?" Uh, okay. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Who's the most most athletic in my family? The most. Uh, Kyle, my brother. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, Why? He he literally. You know how I said, like, I don't pick things up well. Kyle can do anything. Kyle can, Kyle will go pick up a golf club and hit the ball like he's on the PGA Tour. Kyle will you wow. know, pick up a basketball. He was drafted to the White Sox. Um, oh, wow. I yeah, didn't know that. He, yeah, he was drafted to the White Sox, like 30-something round. And in baseball, they have about 100-something of them. So that's not that bad. But ended up at, at JUCO to play football. And Kyle was at Florida State playing um baseball he was a pitcher lefty through like 95 and that's really rare so people were drooling over him the scouts and this that and the third and he just kind of partied out at fsu so he decided to start all over went out to saddleback community college to just kind of find himself go back to school said i think i'll come out for the football team within a year and a half he's a first round draft pick uh, wow you know for the wow. uh, chicago bears so did my brother, so you're saying I'm, I'm interviewing the wrong brother? Exactly. My brother is my brother is a talented uh, sob man. He just if you see the things that he can do in the weight room on the field, it will wow you. Yeah, that's impressive. I think, but I mean, sometimes that's just I believe it or not, it's in the DNA. The talent, the talents in the family are in the DNA. I want to talk about your football career, but I, I, I want to talk about before I really get into your, your foot, football career, yeah. I want to talk about you, um, Super Bowl champion. You have been able to, in my opinion, be very impressive with your platform. I'm very bold when I speak out about Black Lives Matter or yep. what's wrong in this country or about people who are not treated poorly, who are treated unfairly, uh, the marginalized, the poor, by the way, everything. I just, I want to point out what's not right. I want to use my platform to make this place a better place. And you did something that really, and we hadn't even talked, but you did something. I don't, I don't think know, we you did talk, talk about any of this. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. But what you did uh, in Charlottesville really, um, you know, brought a thug tear to my eye. Take me back, effect here to my eyeball. Take me back to that moment where Chris Long, um, on the outside looking in, lets everybody know what he's really made of. Uh, well, you know, that was a crazy time. It, it was because of Cap and because of, listen, it's a long story, but I would say we're living in a time now where athletes have great platforms. Right. And I think, you know, we kind of had that for a long time. Some of the best activists are, and I don't throw that word around lightly because being an activist, an older player once told me a very smart thing. He's like, activism is a serious undertaking. And I wouldn't even call myself an activist. I think people throw that word around, but like there are athlete activists that have been at this thing Hardcore. for a long time people to get death threats, people whose families are at risk because of the things they say. And we know who those figures are throughout our history in, in football and in other sports. And it's like we got away from it for a while because I don't know what it was in the 90s. What do you think it was in the 90s that guys kind of stayed stayed but off? That's it. I've talked about this over and over again. I don't think socially uh, we were in a place where we all felt like it was 
an obvious threat to civil liberties. I felt like in the 90s, this was all here, but we weren't living in such a very obvious state of polarism. Like, I believe in this, you believe in this, this is black, this is white, I'm on this side, you're yeah. on that side. It wasn't so, it wasn't so open. We weren't bold about it. You well, know what I, I mean? I, I, I think if I was to like, and I'm no expert on this shit, but it, like looking back, I figure, okay, sneaker money was good. Like, of course, you know, like everybody was getting paid. People are starting to get paid outside of the sport and they're getting paid inside of the sport like better than ever so it's like you know i'm sure some people were like i don't want to mess up the bag and then you know there's also a dynamic of in the 90s on any of these these issues you read the newspaper you watch the news right like forget about a cell phone video forget about yeah social media yeah. and i think one you of can the, see it i think one of the biggest drivers for athletes now having voices is that we all have a seat at the, the table and talking about the state of our country and the world and, and, and social media for all its evils. Cause I hate Twitter, <laughs> the communication that the opportunity to communicate amongst each other, to organize, to influence, um, sure. that didn't exist for guys in the nineties. So I want to be fair to the guys in the nineties. They never had that opportunity. They never had the vehicle that we had, you know what I mean? So but also Chris is cyclical because the guys in the sixties didn't either. And right. they created a revolution as well. Right. So I well, think the heat it's was turned up too, cyclical. Rightfully. Yeah, yeah. The heat was like, as I'm saying, when the heat is turned up, I just said, like you just said, the times were good. The eighties and the nineties times were good. So, and but they, they were, were becoming, still not good for the people that everybody's fighting for, which is like the weird thing is like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the, yeah. the thing, the thing about the two thousand, the 2010s to me is like, and you know, I don't, I don't want to get, political be, and by political, I mean, partisan political. Cause I think most politicians are full of shit, but the guy we just had in office who's on his way out mm -hmm. was just the worst mm -hmm. of the worst. But mm -hmm. a lot of these problems in this country, they're not new. So like what, what we do have now is, and when I was in St. Louis, I remember the Mike Brown thing. Okay. That was Ferguson. That was I don't know, 2014 or something mm -hmm. like that. Maybe mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. was Trayvon Martin. There was, there were some ish, there were some incidents that happened, some tragedies, murders that happened 10, almost 10 years ago now that athletes were starting to be able to speak out on because they had social media. And I can remember when I tw tweeted about Trayvon Martin, this was like in the dawn of Twitter where I was arguing with five people over it. <laughs> you know, like it just the, the the room was different, you know, and then with with Mike Brown, you could feel like and maybe it was because we were in St. Louis. But this was going to be. There was going to be a lot more to athletes speaking out on issues like police brutality or racism or that sort of thing, because if you remember these names, Kenny Britt, um, yep. you know, uh, Stedman Bailey, mm -hmm. Tavon, Chris Givens, I want to yep. say. Um, and then maybe there was one other guy. They ran out the tunnel in St. Louis with their hands up. And I can remember. I remember. Okay, so we were right there. So, like, we were in the locker room after. Guys, you know, it sparked a conversation. And guys, Monday morning is like, check these death threats out that guys are getting. Like, the voicemails that guys were getting on the phone were just unbelievable. And they call right into work and people <laughs> leaving death threats. It's like, so I say that to say. There's been this, there have been guys that have been at this for almost 10 years, plenty of them that have, I've never been afraid to, to speak out. But what Colin allowed was it turned the heat up so that guys that were speaking in what up, way it turned the heat up because everybody was watching now and everybody mm -hmm. had to talk about it. That was the genius of that demonstration.
You know, like mm-hmm. Colin didn't have to say another word and he, and he chooses his words carefully. And I understand that, but like, he didn't have to say another word. Like the symbolism made it so people couldn't get away from the conversation. I had somebody ask me this summer, uh, in the wake of George Floyd, who seemed to be well-meaning, which is such a, I'd hate to be called well-meaning. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cause it usually means you just like, and I'm sure I've been well-meaning at some point, but this guy was like, I get what Colin's saying. Um, but do you think he could have picked a better time to get his message out than the national anthem, which we've been asked thousands of times at this point. But the point was that it was May, 2020, three, four years after Colin took his first knee. And this guy's asking me at 11 o'clock at night, if that was the right time to demonstrate. <laughs> the answer is in your question. You're asking me the question three years later, Colin hasn't had a job for well over a year now. And you're still thinking about Colin. If he'd have done the thing that you would suggest that he would do, which is to stand up there at the podium after a game, people would have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they would have forgot about it. So I think that opened the door for a lot of people to be in the discussion. And I was one of those people that all of a sudden, the things that I had been saying now were under a microscope. And for me, long story short, I just felt like if I'm going to be the white guy at the table talking about these issues, I can't be a grifter. Not that I would ever be in this conversation to clout chase because I think clout chasing is just the worst thing. I mean, mm-hmm. no demand. But for me, it was like, I got to do something too. And also I've been having this idea in my head of like, I would love to see if I could play for free. So two birds here, you know, we can do something as a city, you know, in Philly to raise awareness, to talk about educational equity, um, to piggyback on the things that Players Coalition was doing with Malcolm Jenkins, Tory Smith, some of those, Anquan Bolden, some of those really awesome guys who I would count as activists, okay? I was the token white guy. So I, ha- I got to bring something to the table and I have to, I have to go out and mobilize and do something of my own. And I thought that education was a way that I could very quickly galvanize people who are like to get their, their, their guard down and say, this is a type of inequity that we can all get behind. Here's your door into the inequality in our country. Once you walk through this doorway now, I got your ear. And Philly stepped up, man. People of all colors, creeds, socioeconomic backgrounds donated to our fund and pledged 10. Um, and they doubled our investment. So, there, you know, I felt uncomfortable doing that whole thing in Philly, playing for free, because I thought a lot of people would think I was doing shit for publicity. And I sure do hate that. But you never get anything done if you're afraid of what people think, you know, so. And I, I also think that you can't give a, you can't care what people think because your heart is always in the right piece, in the right place. The people who matter know. But you hate Everyone's being misunderstood. Have, but it doesn't matter because the, the people who matter are, that's all that matters. I, I, I don't know I, I if that know, makes I, sense to you. I, know. I hope that makes sense to it you, does, but people will always m- misunderstand us. But it does, you do get that. it does make sense. No doubt about it. But you can minimize by like, that's why I always try to be very careful with my words and sometimes I fuck it up. But like you spend time online trying to clarify things because you're like, you idiot. That's not what I meant. You do that all yeah. the, like you do that. Yeah. So, you, yeah, we did it twice. We did it twice. We clarified it on the show. I was like, then I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I know, but that stressed you out. And so the point is like, I could say the same thing to you. Who gives a fuck what people think? Like, but yeah, the point is right. you don't like being misunderstood. And so like, I think that I, I think in this time. 
no matter who you are, you're going to be misunderstood when you are fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. And I think once we come, once we are at peace with that, then we don't feel the need to clarify. Sometimes you do. Sometimes we don't. The Internet is undefeated. I'm getting better. But where we we like we're in a country right now that when we choose to do what we subjectively believe is right, right, especially you with your platform. And like you said, being the Y guy speaking up, you're going to always get pushback. I'm right. going to get pushback because I'm a black woman speaking up. Like they don't want to hear what the yeah, hell I got to say. Pushback's nothing compared to yours. Like, listen, I read things that Malcolm notes that he's gotten. You know, I, I had people, you know, I haven't gone to the white house a couple of times. People take that shit really personally because the, they wrap their whole identity up in this guy. <laughs> I, I've gotten messages. Hey, I'm going to knock your teeth down your throat with a baseball bat in front of your family. I'm like, okay, good luck. But like this, this, yeah. this is the type of stuff. And I can only imagine what it's like to be a black person speaking out in the way that I'm speaking out. Like the, sure. the messages must be much worse. The, the most important part of why I did the Charlottesville thing though, was because you know, the place I was from was kind of under siege because of what happened there. Of and, course. And of course. so I've never been so, I don't think, I don't think I've ever been so mad at, and I don't, I don't trust politicians. I don't, I'm not politically inclined. I was never politically inclined until 2016. But to see the, the way he let people down that, he had right. one last chance to be decent. That's it. And step up, drop your nuts on the table and don't be a bad mm -hmm. guy. And mm -hmm. he just couldn't do it. And, and I just remember sitting in the car after training camp that night. I remember very vividly and sitting in the parking lot at the airport Marriott in, in Philly because we were in training camp and I was just fucking fuming. If I'd have went and gone and played a football game, I would have been an absolute terror. But why were you fuming? I don't know. Cause when you get what that, was that feeling? It was, you think you get it your whole life. Cause you're like, I'm not a racist. I hate racism. <laughs> I, you know, like I have hard conversations with my friends, all that stuff. But like, yeah, this is really where we are right now. Fact. This is really where we are right now. And I've always known that that's where we've always kind of been. But it was like the audacity of people and of people in leadership to step out and say, this is who we are. And we're not sorry that this is who we are. And, and, and we're okay with it. I mean, that, and that to me is like, and the thing was everywhere I went, it was like, oh, you're from Charlottesville. I was like, yes, you, you, do, you do know this, yeah. this, this whole country <laughs> is like this. And yeah, you, not you, just Charlottesville, right? And, and, you, and you do know that yeah. a lot of those people that came into town, well, 99, 100% of those people that you saw in hoods and, and sure. you know, dressed like they're out for Halloween, they're playing commando and shit. I, they're not from I, here, you know, and, and I wanted to do something that, that lifted our community up too, because this place is still hurting over it. And, of course, uh, of course. And we got to be better as a city. Everywhere's got to be better. But I, I thought we got a little bit unfairly pegged. Now, there's a lot of stuff we have to work on here, just like any place. Look, but. By the way, every place is being unfairly pegged. Every person, which is goes back to what you said. You try to be careful. I don't want you to be careful, Chris. I want you to be right. I want someone who has your access and your resources, and I'm not even going to use the word privilege, but yes, that too, to be a disruptor. 
to to have conversations that people don't want to have. And you do that as eloquently as you can, but you inevitably will offend someone oh, and bother that. someone. And it's okay. I do it all and day. To me, but guess what? That you know what that means? What? We're doing the work. Yeah. That's the work. No one is trying to stop the people who aren't doing anything. I'm not worried and, about pissing people off, Carrie. It's only being yeah. misunderstood. Are you, or taken out of context. I hate that shit. When people do- How about taken out of taken out of context? That's easier. Misunderstood is a lifetime. Yeah. That's everybody. That's that's marriage. That's yeah. your relationship. Yeah. Like people will never understand your true motives. But taken out of context is annoying, but yeah. can't do shit about it. All you can do, honestly, is continue to do what you have been doing. And that's why I'm your friend. Otherwise, I wouldn't talk to you. Right. I want you to know that. Well, that's because uh, I don't necessarily then I'll probably are you keep, happy? I'll probably keep doing what I'm doing then, you know. I pretty much do it I all commend so I can you. hang out with Carrie and get on Carrie's yes. podcast. Yes, I commend you. You'll be on the big show too. And oh, um, I know day. you could care. I know you could care less. I'm in single A right now. I'm on single Yeah, yeah I know you could care right less with your sarcastic ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, with that being said, um, you got two Super Bowl rings. And one of them was like a, a game for the ages, uh, in my opinion, uh, but both of them. I mean, because I think there's, a, there's trophies there behind you. So you got two chips. When you got your very first chip, did you think that you were the shit? No, quite the opposite. I felt like I was a god after my second one. But after the first one, I was just happy to it was a relief because when I went to New England and Carrie, as you pointed out, I was in St. Louis for eight years. We won 34 games in eight years or something. And we went one and 15 Dang. and we went two and 14. So it was bad. And I felt like I wasted my prime. I felt like my career was outside of making a lot of money was a waste. And, and I can tell you, trust me, money doesn't make you happy because I was miserable. Um, and that's easy for me to say. You know, no. Yeah, I was going to say, let me let me hold five. But as but as an athlete, it doesn't necessarily fulfill you if you're in it for the right reasons. You know, like sure, I took a lot of solace in my my kids being set and us being set and being able to do a lot of things off the field I love to do. But you know, nobody ever saw you you in your prime. Nobody ever watched you. I used to sit at home. My dumbass used to stay up to see if Chris Berman and Tom Jackson would do the highlight of our game. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'd be like, I'd be like in bed, like fighting sleep. I'd be like, are they going to show us beating the Seahawks tonight? Like, and I'd just be falling asleep and the highlight would be like five seconds long, you know? And, and I was just like, man, I never got in it because of wanting to play. I'd play in front of nobody. I'd play in an alley, but, and oftentimes we did play in front of nobody in St. Louis, but Mm -hmm. I I was always jealous and I'll admit jealousy. I was jealous of players that got drafted to teams that were good and were playing Mm -hmm. in big spots because that's like, and I never got that in my prime. So the only thing I could do was try to salvage and go ring chase. And I, straight up, dude, I just went and tried to pick the best place. It came down to Atlanta and New England that year. And, mm-hmm. and that was the 28 to three year. So I made the right yeah. choice. But at halftime yeah. of that Super Bowl, I felt like I made the wrong choice. <laughs> You were like, again, I could have been on the other side. Tell me what you were thinking. That's great. I didn't know that. In your mind, what were you thinking? You're like, why am I on this team? Well, no, I was, no, like, listen, New England and I cherished that year because for all the bad raps that they get up there, they were some of the best teammates I ever had. Matthew Slater, I would count. There's a few guys in the NFL that I would leave my house and let watch my kids for an entire week. No questions asked. I trust Matthew Slater with my family. Uh, Dante Hightower. Um, I would trust, you know, Devin McCourty. I wouldn't trust Julian Edelman or Danny Amendola, but those are my boys. <laughs> but 
But but some of the greatest teammates I've ever had, and we did have fun up there. The only thing that sucked is I was out of position and I was a role player, but I knew that I was trying because of the scheme, you know, I wasn't going to be a star anymore. I went from like being, you know, the shit in St. Louis to now I'm, you know, I'm part of the the machine and that's fine. But when we ended up winning and the worst part was like I was playing like 50, 60 snaps a game. But during the during the playoffs, I became a situational pass rusher, which means I'm getting 20 and I'm there to rush. And I was kind of bummed about that. And so I was really super excited about getting the ring. Wouldn't trade it for anything. But the year in Philly, I can remember sitting there on the field with the confetti and all that stuff. And I didn't even cry after the first Super Bowl, the second one. You know, I, I cried like a baby and I felt like I made it. You know what I mean? Like, because I was a big part of that, you know, so I felt better about the second one. You were a huge part of that. Yeah. And then the cry that you did, was there snot or was it just a basic no cry? Snot. I don't know if there was snot. Honestly, I don't know. But think of, think about it. Let me think hard. Um, was it like I'm not grabbing a, the trophy? You don't snot when you, when you cry? Fuck no, 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 fuck okay. no. Maybe when I was You're a too, kid. You're too cool for that now? No, there's nothing wrong with crying. I just am not a, I don't, I don't get emotional that way a lot. And, uh, and I knew when the, the water came out of my eyes, I was like, is that water? <laughs> You've never, when's the last time you cried? No, it had been a little bit. It had been. Since the ki- maybe when the kids were born. You know, what's funny. The last time I cried was when we did Kilimanjaro. You know, we do that Killy thing. Yeah. So that's the last time you cried? Well, I do. I, that's about it though, as an, as an adult, you know, unless, unless, yeah, no, I don't think I cried a lot as an adult. You didn't cry at your wedding? No, I was so drunk at my wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, hey, we had, we had a good time at the wedding, man. And, and, and Meg's so cool that like, it wasn't like one of those touchy, like kind of like, we, it was a party, you know, I guess I, now I'll tear up putting my kid to bed. But yeah. when I played, you were such a machine. It was like, you don't. Mm-hmm. And then whether that's healthy or not. And, and we'll I just. Find, we'll find out years from now. Yeah. I just remembered after the second one, I was like, damn, dude, um, I, this, this is emotional. Speaking of emotional, I, I've been, you know, waxing poetically about what a great guy you are. But I want you to, because you won't brag on yourself, but I want you to tell me about your foundation. Yeah. And the work that you do. Um, okay. So Chris Long foundation, we, we started it like five, six years ago when I was just finishing up in St. Louis. Um, I used to do a lot of work kind of off the field, but quietly, cause again, I don't want to be a phony and this is, or be perceived as a phony, but again, to your point, who gives a fuck, but I, um, I kind of like kept things to myself, um, and I would do one-off things. And then I realized one day that like, I'm not going to play forever. You know, I think it was around the time when I lost the step. And when you lose a step in the NFL, it doesn't mean you're slow. It just means you're not what you were when you were 23. And I'm like turning like 28 at this point. And I'm thinking to myself, watching my, my friends get cut and not come, come back to league, you know, I'm five, six years in now. I'm thinking, damn, like I'm a really good player and I'm under contract, but you just never know. So I need to get my act together and I need to make a real difference. And, um, I was thinking about doing a foundation and, and, and getting the, f- the fans involved. Um, because if you do things quietly, you make $1, you don't make five for your right. cause. You do things with fans, you make $5. And 
I went to Tanzania on a whim with an old teammate of mine. He was like my, uh, my little like, uh, cynical OG played for the lions for a long time, played in St. Louis. His name's James Hall, classic dude. Didn't talk to me for an entire year. My rookie year hated me. <laughs> and then we became best of friends. Like, cause when I got drafted, he, he was like a dog. He was a real good player. And I wasn't, I wasn't any better than him, but naturally it gave me the spot cause I was a high draft sure. So he hated me and I don't blame him. I would have hated myself too. <laughs> but we got close and right before he retired, I said, let's do a trip to Tanzania. Let's do Kilimanjaro. This will be fun. Like I, I want to travel more. I like climbing and, and trekking. So we go and do it and I kind of fall in love with the place. Um, but I was really struck by, you know, the disparity in what we have and what, what's, what, what's not available there. And <laughs> one of the things that jumped out at me very quickly in in realizing how we could make a difference was clean water is the biggest driver for um, a community to begin to thrive. And the funniest thing about that trip was we did the climb. It's like a week long. Carrie, I can't wait to come on the mountain and join us. I know you I'm coming. committed. Invite, okay, invite, cool. so invite. We we, um, so, Done. so we do a climb every year uh, now, many years later. But um, the first time we went down, Come back from from the climb. I'm in the hotel. There's pretty nice digs there in uh, in Arusha where we stay, and there's a little bar. And we had like two beers and we're hammered because the altitude and how tired you are and shit. It's like getting back from the gym and taking a shot times hundred. <laughs> and I hear somebody walk in to the bar, and I hear somebody say, "Hey, Chris." And so I'm thinking to myself, "Who the fuck knows who? Like, th- there must mm-hmm. be another Chris here. I mean, I'm in East Africa." Mm-hmm. And I turn around and it's Joe Buck, dude. You never heard this story. Yeah. It's Joe Buck. Um, and you know, have you met Joe before? Yeah. Joe's so his voice so, is, yeah. Joe's the man. But I, you should have noticed the voice right away, right? I, I did. I did not notice it right away. And Joe's from St. Louis. Joe also works with my pops. So I'm just like, okay. what the hell are you doing here? And he's yeah. got this guy with him that kind of looks like Brad Pitt. And so I've told this story a lot. And I always say, <laughs> I, my, my first thought was like, good for you, man. My second thought was like, why are you guys here? Joe was there with Doug Pitt. It's Brad Pitt's brother. Uh, Shut yeah. the front door. <laughs> yeah. And so Doug Pitt is the goodwill ambassador to Tanzania because Brad and Angie had done a, a bunch of stuff with poaching and all this stuff. And they were into clean water and some of the projects that were going on there. That's how Joe went there for a water project. So he told me the first day, like, hey, you and James come with us tomorrow, do this water project. And I'm not gonna lie, the first time I heard about it, I was like, I got a flight. I'm, I'm know I'm gonna be hungover, I'm tired. I just got off the mountain, maybe we'll join you. So we don't make it the next day because our flight leaves before they leave for the village. And uh, when I got back to St. Louis, I worked with Doug on, on another project and I just, it kind of hit me that we could do this clean water thing. And there was a real niche in pro sports where how many guys and girls have you met in sports that went somewhere, whether it was Central America, East Africa, India? I mean, shit, we have water problems in in the United States. Um, And they did a well, like a hand pump or something and dedicated it to somebody. (laughs) Well, there are so many, first off, there's so many inoperable wells around the world. There are like millions of inoperable hand pumps. But also the minute they leave, there's there's no follow-up and it's a great thing that you're doing if you do a one-off, but I, I'm like, we can get everybody involved here. 
So I start mm-hmm. calling friends and half of them were like, yeah, I'll get back to you on that. Like, uh, never got a call back. And mm-hmm. a lot of fans were like, clean water. Why aren't you doing it here? What are you doing mm-hmm. for, you know, the whole, what about us? What about the USA? And I just, <laughs> the whole, the whole, what about the USA thing? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you and are I just, crazy. I just, I just, <laughs> we just stayed at it, man. And so five, six years later, we've done almost a hundred large solar powered wells and we were provided water for about 500,000 people. Our goal is a million. We've had reps on a bunch of different teams. We've had, you know, guys from Russell Wilson to Kyle Long to Connor Barwin, Johnny Heckard, like almost 30 guys. So we've spread it out because I knew at that point, listen, if I do this, only people in St. Louis care, but if I recruit a bunch of people, we got something going. Everybody will be a part yeah, of it. Yeah, and so that's been the model. I'm very, like, a, a proud Waterboys.org. I'm very sorry. proud of you. I was a bad plug. Say it again? Waterboys.org. This, that's a bad plug. I'm not good at Waterboys with a, a Y-Z or a Y-S? Y-S. Y-S. Why didn't you put a Z? That would have been pretty tight, but then maybe not so tight when I turned 30. <laughs> and, like, grew up. You know what I mean? Like, became an adult. What are yeah. boys? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you can check it out online. We also do a lot of educational equity work. I mean, we're, we're constantly, um, because of the last couple of years in Philly, um, working in that space. And yeah, just trying to do a little something, man, you know, because we, we you are doing platform. a lot of something. You're like a, a low key philanthropist, but trying to be cool about it. But you don't want everybody to know you're great. I'm just going to go tweet about it if you don't mind. Mm, mm, I like about that. how I amazing mean, I, you are. Yeah, I appreciate no? that. I, that I, I really appreciate that. The character. I'm going to talk about. Uh, yeah. Hello. That'll take you. That'll take you far. <laughs> no, I think it will. You think it's a joke. I'm like, fuck yeah. Let me check my mentions. In a few minutes. Yeah. Talk about how great he is. Um, Last but not least, um, I want to know about your podcast, Greenlight, yeah. Chris Long. So, yeah, it's uh, it's mostly a football podcast, but I I suppose one of the issues with our podcast is we kind of live in an in-between space, you know, like I'll break down games, X's and O's. Um, and talk about cereal. But we'll talk about, you know, uh, Lucky Charms ice cream. We'll talk about, mm-hmm. you know, I've had Pearl Jam come on, Eddie Vedder, I've had... Um, you know, I've had social justice space folks coming on over the summer to educate people about some of the, the laws that are messed up in our country and what people are fighting about too. I've had, you know, we're going to have Danny green here on this week. Actually, we got him coming on later. So like we spread it out, we do music, we do athletes, we do real life stuff. And, um, and we bullshit too. It's just, honestly, I love meeting people and like, I love, I just love getting an, I want to ask somebody the question that I want to learn something about. I love researching somebody for like a couple hours and being like, I want to get the thing that I don't see here, you know, and, and that's a challenge. And, um, and I think that's, that's a, that's a fun, it's a fun little project after football. So green light pod, we're on Monday, Wednesday, Friday during the season and, uh, all year too. You're hustling now. This is, I'm going to wrap with this. Do you have a dollar that I can borrow? A dollar, huh? I've seen the Uh production quality on that set with you and Jamel now. Can I, I just need $2 then. Well, that actually, it's, I'm thinking that's the case against you getting a dollar. So maybe you give me a dollar. I was thinking maybe. You you played in a league. You got You got a dollar or two. I lost all my money money. though. I lost You got pension, you got pension money coming. I, I lost all that money. 
you get a you get ten dollars a month with your ten dollars a month. <laughs> the pension's so. kind of shitty. I didn't realize it was. Yeah. So, I need to look. I need to read between the the, 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 the fine lines. Realize what they said. I know you hate doing this, but you're gonna have to do it for me. Okay. When it's all said and done, how would you like people to remember Chris Long? Not as if you're dead. Yeah, no, I'm like thinking, if I'm, thinking about my, I'm thinking about not my not like head. being dead. I'm thinking about yeah, my headstone head. here. I'm like, oh well. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Like it, you know, from a football perspective, the thing that always I would hope when somebody says, like, when a new player came to a team or came to our team and was like, I might have a first conversation with somebody. They're like, I played with this guy. It was like. He spoke really highly of you, like as a teammate, you know, like he said, go talk to C Long or whatever. Like that was better than any accolade for me. Um, you know, like I, I hope when a buddy from the Eagles calls me because he's like, I miss you here. Like that means a lot to me, you know, because mm-hmm. that's the thing that you, you don't you don't stay tight with all your teammates forever, but mm-hmm. they remember who you are and who you weren't. They remember if you were a fraud. They remember if you were a backstabber they remember if you were i don't know i I just want to be remembered as a real guy and a teammate so that that's all i care about you know chris long is a real guy a good teammate a good person a good human he's a disruptor i'll take it all i mean he has i mean he's not perfect definitely not i mean i lakers are not his favorite team so i mean well i'm a knicks fan so can we talk about that for a second before you let me go is there any hope for me never you guys, this a wrap. You, you just no. Go to Brooklyn. Go to Brooklyn. No, I have a side team. Who? The the Blazers. I know that's not going to make you happy, but good luck with that. Go to Brooklyn. Blazers are going to be just go to Brooklyn, dog. I'm trying to help you out right now. Okay. That's what friends are for. Chris Long, ladies and gentlemen, uh, two time Super Bowl champion. I'd like to call him a bud because he is my bud. But I just am. Um, always in awe of how self-deprecating he is and how charitable he is. I mean, these are my opinions, but hopefully you were able to understand that by talking with him or listening to our conversation. One of my, one of my big takeaways um, was the perceived privilege. Uh, coming from NFL royalty, if you will, you would think that there was an entitlement there, but, but with Chris, he is such a hard worker. Um, and the lesson for me in that is, Perceived privilege doesn't mean you do not have to work hard. There's good and bad that accompanies both. And I think that he's a perfect example of someone who knows what he's entitled to, if you will, or some people feel as if he's entitled to something, but he works just so hard in spite of who his father is or in spite of what people may think. And so I'm always encouraged by watching the way he works and his work ethic. Number two, listen, do the right thing and I'm not saying that subjectively and be okay with uncomfortable conversations. When I called him an ally, I truly meant it. Chris put himself on the line, spoke up about what was wrong in Charlottesville, what was happening with the social justice movement and football. He wanted to be, you know, on the front lines, if you will, to make sure people knew that he wanted to be on the right side of history. Um, And not only is it important to have him, Chris Long, do that, for him to be aware of his perceived privilege as a white man and still say no. 
I want to be on the right side of history. I want to make sure that I am expressing what I know in this country isn't right. I'm just so grateful for him. Uh, and I'm always so appreciative of hearing him speak up on these matters because it makes me feel like there is hope in America. Last but not least, give back. It's just that simple. When you're blessed and when you're given so much, you can only take so much with you. When you have resources, when you have a platform, you have to give back. And with that said, I want you guys to check out his foundation. It's the Chris Long Foundation. But go to waterboys.org. That's with the S, not a Z. Waterboys.org and find out how you can help in the clean water efforts that he's doing in East Africa. Hope you all enjoyed this podcast. It's the brown print. We're having fun. We're making a difference. We'll see you next week. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback. Or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Ha <laughs> ha. Kidding. Kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.